Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Um, The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. And today we have the pleasure of having Opal's milieu lead therapist here with us, Madeline Young. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Carter. Thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would love to know, I think, just first of all, what somatic psychotherapy is Yeah. and kind of what your work with that field has looked like so far. Absolutely. Yeah. So somatic psychotherapy is this like umbrella term for all these different therapies that fall under this category of body oriented or, or body centered. Okay. So my specific work is called core energetics. And then there's other orientations out there. I think a lot of people have heard of somatic experiencing, but my specific work is core energetics. Okay. Yeah. You are a massage therapist mm-hmm. and a yoga teacher. Yeah. So uh, how did you get into this world of mm. the body? <laughs> That's a big question. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really good question, too. When I was in college and I found yoga, I had this like full holistic, like full body experience of what healing is like, kind of outside of just talk therapy. And so I really came to yoga from this place of needing a lot of healing and found that it was it was much more healing than I ever expected. And I think after that yoga experience, I was really aware that any type of healing that I did in the future needed to kind of include all levels of my existence, mm. not just like my behavior and my my mental and emotional world, but, but everything. So I um, kind of had this long journey to to wanting to become a therapist. And then did as much research as I could and just started to discover that there's this whole world out there called body psychotherapy and started to get into that a little bit. I want to hear more about what it felt like for you in that, like those initial yoga classes. Like what was it that you were experiencing in your body that made you know that it was like the right way to Mm. keep moving? I would say that I had experiences, you know, in my earlier years of anything that was happening in my body was a competition with other people. May that be with sports or appearances or you know the comparison game and I think that in yoga it just felt like this space of like being who I was and not having to prove anything to anyone or compete with anyone just kind of like this intuitive movement piece that was so missing from my life and so in those early years with yoga I had this brand new experience with my body of just experiencing it for what it was and what it needed and that was really like such a relief to find that. And I just had to follow the feeling, I guess. I love that. Yeah. You've said that core energetics is part of somatic psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. It's a type of somatic okay, psychotherapy. So yeah. Walk us through it. What yeah. does it look what like? It what look is like? core energetics? Yeah. <laughs> Such a big, big question. So core energetics, it really is like an attachment. The theory is really based in attachment style and how our early childhood experiences from as early as, you know, prenatal to like up to seven or eight years old, affect adult personality and how we walk through the world with that. And so there's, you know, theory about how those early experiences shape our bodies and our personality. And so what we're working with in in core is looking to find like how we're masking the type of energy that didn't and the needs that didn't get met in our early childhood experiences and trying to meet those now as adults. So it's really getting to this really deep, who am I question and this like who is my higher self what am I here to do instead of doing it from this like mask 
and like this guarded place of not wanting to have our full energy. That's incredible. That's really wonderful. <laughs> That's really incredible. <laughs> Can you explain more about um, what some of this like masking would look like? Yeah, absolutely. So in core, we call this the mask theory. And I think the best way that we can kind of describe it is if we do like the, a little guided imagery and okay. kind of all of us can have this like visceral experience of what that feels like in the body. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For those of you listening and just anybody with us, you can kind of close your eyes, get comfortable in your chair and see, just kind of check in with the body right now, seeing where your breath is at. Maybe how any parts of your body that feel um, really accessible to you or inaccessible. And then go ahead and picture yourself as, as a little kid. Maybe you're like two to four years old and you're playing with your absolute favorite toy. And you're just kind of fully engrossed in this experience of playing with your toy. And kind of notice how that feels in your body. And then as you're continuing to play in your own space, a caregiver comes in and tells you that you have to immediately put your toy down and come with them because playtime's over. And from that, maybe start to notice what sensations in your body start to happen when you're kind of having this pleasurable moment taken from you and see where that comes up and where that wants to go and then from here as many two to four year olds might do imagine that you were able to use all that energy that was just built up in your body to put a boundary up with your caregiver and you might say I hate you I want to play no you know you might say no and from there, your caregiver tells you that good little kids don't hate their mom or their dad or their caregiver. And so from there, the energy that just came out of you that was innocent and, and real was stopped. How do you stop that energy? How do you do that with your body? What do you tell yourself about yourself? What emotions come up? So that is it. Wow. Yeah. So then the questions from there would be sort of a map into the way that yeah. you're functioning in the world and how your personalities develop. Yeah. So questions around how was your energy stopped as a kid and how might you be masking that trapped energy in your body now um, with personality or body or anything like that. So it's kind of all about discovering how you hide the energy that wasn't accepted and getting to what the energy, what it needed to express, and really letting it happen as adults. Whoa. <laughs> that makes me want to cry. Also, I just sat here with my eyes closed kind of doing that, mostly doing it as I was also, like, sitting in a recording studio and <laughs> thinking about what was going to happen next. But, but oh, my goodness, mm. it's so visceral to think already about kind of the different memories that came up for me. And yeah. It was hard for me to even think of what toy I would have played with at that age, but <laughs> yeah. even that felt like information. I'm just thinking about how how powerful it is to actually ask your body to reimagine those mm. spaces mm -hmm. um, and let your body go there yeah. in order to get some of those answers. Mm -hmm. 
I'm curious about how sort of your understanding of this and your knowledge of all of this um, and this framework around the body and around energy in general mm-hmm. has impacted your work with clients with eating disorders. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really wonderful to see how that's playing out because I think that an eating disorder is this like form of communication oftentimes. Yes. It's communicating something that isn't direct. And so I get curious about like what is it covering up? What is it masking underneath that we're too afraid or, you know, it's too challenging to talk about? And so I think that eating disorders are an also are a unique mental health issue because the body is like s- plays such a role mm-hmm. in that whether we have attitudes toward our body whether we're afraid of it or it's rebelling against us with chronic pain or whatever that might be so i think that including the body in the the treatment and the healing of eating disorders just feels like such a no brainer mm-hmm. and i find that Oftentimes there can be like in groups that I might lead, there might be a lot of resistance to to going there. And it's understandable because there's such a vast like it can be really risky to go there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it can be so unknown, which, of course, can be a risk. Wow. Yeah. What do you think clinicians are missing out on by not having some sense of this framework of the body? Yeah, I think that um, so in core, one of the conceptualizations we use is this thing called the functional unity or the five levels of existence. And so it's the basis is the body where everything happens in our system. And then from there we have our emotions. And then from there, our mental, like our thoughts, our belief systems, our behaviors after that, and then spirit. And so, you know, modern therapists are really targeting the the behavior, the emotions, and and the mental. And I think that the body is like the host of all of those those things. And so we never go through the world without our bodies there. And so I think that, you know, our our ner- how our nervous system plays a role in this just feels if it's untapped, it feels incomplete in my experience. And so working with the body, I think, is more treating the person as this whole person that that can't escape the fact that you have a body, whether you'd like to or not. So uh, how would clinicians that are either working in a group or one-on-one be able to incorporate some of this on their own with maybe not having the full training? So the vasomotoric cycle or the body cycle of learning is not like a core energetic specific theory, but it's very applicable to including the body in therapy. And so I could explain a little bit about that and how people might be able to kind of use that to start to see this work in their practice. Um, So this was was developed by a woman named Gerda Boyson, and her work was really focused on physiology and how emotions impact our physiology. And so what she discovered is that there is this body the body cycle of learning is how we take in new experiences and how we actually create new learnings and um you know from from our past experiences and so you know folks might start with a with an experience in their system and that might create a charge in their system so that charge might be an emotion or like a physical response in the muscles and from there the idea is that in order to kind of continue on the learning, you need to discharge that experience. And so a discharge might look like a heavy sigh or a cry or kind of physically moving the body really strongly. And so after like a real discharge of energy happens from the system, we move into this relaxation stage where we can just relax into what our bodies were were just able to do. And for a lot of people, like a really heavy cry can be 
such a real and healthy discharge of energy and, and emotion. And so after relaxation, there's a recuperation phase of kind of learning what happened, like looking back on your experience and being like, what am I going to take from this? And a lot of recouping might be like, wow, you know, that experience that I just went through, I noticed how much that hurt me and I don't want to do that again. And so from there, taking that recuperation into integrating it into your life can allow you to just continue in this spiral of upward toward healing. And folks fall off the vasomotoric cycle in all of these different places. And so I think the work as therapists is we can start to recognize, like, where are people not completing each mm-hmm. of these places Mm -hmm. and how can we help them to get back on the body cycle of learning to continue to heal and that could be something that you could do just on your own in terms of your own reflection yeah your own reflection absolutely just kind of noticing like where am I where am I getting stuck or where am I not completing and kind of that example that I gave of like the little kid with the with the toys like the great a great example of the discharge was the like no, like, I don't like you, mommy. I want to keep playing. Like, that is, that's a discharge of energy. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, that kind of, like, no is such a innocent experience of just letting yourself have your energy. And then from there, kind of noticing, like, can you relax into that? Can you, can you recoup the learning? And yeah. What would a, like, re- recuperation of learning look like in that scenario? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in this scenario, the little kid isn't going to complete the vasomotoric cycle right. because the recoup is going to be this false information that they they can't have their own energy. And so it's that's almost, what's being communicated that's what's from being the parent. Communicated. And so that that then gets integrated into kind of a more of a masked type personality. Okay. And so kind of a a a real example of the of a full vasomotoric cycle might be like a little kid on the playground who is just engrossed in what they're doing and then these maybe bigger kids come by and they they might take the t- the toy away and they might break it and then the kid erupts in the charge that enters into their system maybe it's fear or anger or whatever comes up and that really happens on like a cellular and, and muscular level and then if that child feels safe enough to kind of run over to the parent and kind of have this full on you know kids have these full body meltdowns that's this really real discharge and if the parent is attuned and and with the kid they might scoop them up and kind of just affirm their discharge and and this this energy that's happening and and then in in that case, the kid might be able to relax into that a little bit more and relax into their parents' support and then recoup the information that those those big kids took my toy and, and I didn't really like that, but I just got the care I needed. So it's okay and I can be safe on the playground again. So they might go out and play again and then just recoup that information that they might do it differently next time or stand up for themselves or whatever that might look like. So that would be like a really nice completion of the vasomotoric cycle from like an an attachment lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is so cool to hear because I think (laughs) I am always talking with my clients and Mm. myself (laughs) um, (laughs) about kind of the experience of my inner child and sort of the the places that were Mm. incomplete or the places where maybe I got one thing but I needed another and how to imagine what I would have felt as a child and how to sort of figure out how to give myself what I would have needed. So it's really cool to get a lens Mm. of the body on top of this to look through because it's, of course, all of that is happening in the body. (laughs) Yeah, it always is. Always, everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you just reminded me of kind of how how the mask gets created really starts from this like one one example. Like I'm talking about a couple of these one examples. And then if that continues over and over again, it turns into kind of this bigger image and then becomes a belief system. And I think a lot of adults are walking around with belief systems that they created as children and fully believe them. And so kind of looking at our belief systems can kind of lead us to what needs didn't get met when we were younger. And we can totally meet them ourselves now. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need help with that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, hopefully help's available. Yeah. (laughs) And part of that help would be figuring out how to re-engage that cycle. And like you said, get back on the spiral up toward healing so that it can go all the way around again. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. With what we're talking about, this sort of like cycle not completing, I'm imagining that eating disorder behavior Mm -hmm. comes in at some point within the cycle in order to manage the energy like we talked about earlier or to redirect it somewhere. Can you imagine like what it would mean for someone struggling with their eating behaviors or their relationship to their body image even to re-engage the cycle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you're so right that eating disorder behavior is definitely going to play a role in like where someone's not making it on the cycle. And I specifically think about like a lot like restriction of eating can be really helpful for people to not feel charge in their Mm. system. And I think that just feeling a charge in your system can, you know, you can feel your heart beating, you can feel your breath, you can feel yourself alive. And I think sometimes that can feel threatening to even just feel your own body. And so I think about eating disorders just as a way to manage not wanting to feel something or needing to feel something different. So I think that it totally plays a role in where we're falling off or where we're getting stuck on the body cycle of learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. What about with binging and purging? Mm -hmm. Can you think of like sort of what you would imagine? Obviously, every single person's experience is so different. Yeah, absolutely. Either of those experiences could be a way to numb out or to feel something really intensely. Mm -hmm. And so some people are really comfortable with having charge but are not comfortable moving it. And so I think that our patterns just kind of get cemented in this way to where we kind of become comfortable with these almost self-sabotage-like ways of being. And so, again, I think that it's such a general idea of what that could do for someone. But I think that whatever your pattern is, whatever your behavior is, is it just helping you kind of not complete the cycle again. And and that's not because we're meant for self-destruction, but because we're we're kind of I think wired to be to do keep up the status quo and we learned kind of inadvertently that we needed to do that to be safe when we were young. Yeah, I don't so know. So self-sabotage can yeah. even be the status quo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, definitely. From your expertise, do you see how this realm of overtly incorporating the body could be mm-hmm. done um, within the eating disorder treatment world and in ways that maybe it's not being done now? Yeah. In my experience at Opal is that we're incorporating it, you know, through yoga therapy and in groups like Body Wisdom that we have kind of focused on our relationship to our bodies. And I think just having you know, it's so much more than having a conversation about the body and about what you think about it and what it feels like, but to actually like get in there with experiences on as much of a regular basis as possible to start to develop that relationship. Because I don't think that the relationship can be built by like verbally necessarily. And I think that there's a lot of strong work you can do with, you know, the talk therapy lens, but 
to have as much experiential learning as possible is kind of how I've chosen to bring it. And, you know, whether that's like guided imagery or movement, I think that there's just there can be more space for the the embodied experience of having a body. Yes. Yeah. I love that invitation because it. Um, I feel like I've said this at points long ago on the podcast when I was maybe talking about my work with poetry and creativity mm-hmm. in the realm of eating disorders, that the body has experienced so much. Yeah. And we're talking about bodies nonstop when we're talking about eating disorders. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And yet somehow the experience of the body gets excluded yeah. from the conversation. Yeah. And so the idea of getting to sort of imagine more of a place of experiential learning mm-hmm. and experiential healing, getting to sort of like figure out, a, I mean, the way that I think about it creatively often is like, how do we figure out a stage in which, um, a stage on which to sort of start playing out what you're feeling, whether that be like letting yourself imagine a character or a part of you mm-hmm. to the nth degree in a sort of improv class yes. or in a <laughs> poem that you're writing or like really letting your body go back to an experience and then writing from the visceral yes. information that you have there. Again, those are all through my more creative lens. But um, yeah, I think that's brilliant. It's reminding me of like check-ins with clients where they've said like, I feel like a kid and I just want to kick and scream right now. Mm-hmm. And that is such a great I think wish to have as an adult is to do have those tantrums that you didn't have as a kid or you weren't able to or and so that's not always possible with walls that are paper thin but (laughs) yeah I think engaging those like visceral parts is key yeah yeah in the healing process when you came into the studio today you commented on how soundproof it was I did (laughs) um is that because in your work you are inviting people to kick and scream yes or, yeah yes yes oh. so there is very um with the kind of body cycle of learning with that in mind the discharge can look so many different ways mm-hmm. and I think the more kind of subtle ways are the heavy sigh or the crying or the um just quieter experiences but sometimes there needs to be really deep yelling or screaming or even like hitting or kicking or anything mm-hmm. like that. So it can look so many different ways. And it's totally just led by the client's energy. Like it's never um, it's never forced. We're never forced to do that kind of thing. But just if that's what the client is bringing, then we're, we want to allow it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about a, an example of my own from when I was a kid that mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this was me trying to discharge energy <laughs> where I had a secret language. Um, I still can speak in it. I won't. Maybe right now. Maybe I should, but I won't. <laughs> I had a secret language that people always ask like, oh, you know, is there sort of like a rhythm or pattern or mm-hmm. something to it? And it was absolutely not that. It was like a verbal sort of all these different sounds that could mm-hmm. come out. I've kind of put myself in the position where I feel like I need to do it. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I would just be like, <laughs> you know, like these bizarre sounds that were like, really you know, like so much energy, so much yeah. energy mm-hmm. that I could pretend I was, you know, like a Soviet 
somebody. I don't know. You know, or like suddenly, you know, all the intonation is there of a really expressive person with absolutely no real words behind it. Yeah. It was such a freeing way. And I had a way to sort of like code it with a pen. Again, like no real like letters or characters, but just marks. Like what do the marks feel like on the Mm. page? And when I doodle sometimes... I still do that of like just doodling in a way that feels like, okay, what is my energy right now? And how can I just like ferociously just all over or just like tiny little dots or what is it that fits? Yes. Um, I had never thought of that through that lens. I love that. And no, that makes so much sense to me because it's embodying this spirit or this like energy that maybe wasn't allowed to get expressed in English. Right. (laughs) Your own language. (laughs) Yeah. So helpful. Love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you um, so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm so glad that you were here. And it's so fun to learn about this. And if you feel open to it, I'd love to get Mm -hmm. some like information so people can keep learning about this, whether that's in work with you or articles or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of articles that we can direct people to. Okay. So we'll we'll link those um, in the description box for people to find. And yeah, once again, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. Again, make sure you check out the description box to find more to find out more about this topic and about Madeline. If you want to learn more about Opal and Opal's programming or just the community events that are happening at Opal, make sure to check out the website at opalfoodandbody.com and follow along with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you to Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye.